Hello, everyone. In this podcast, we will be discussing sensitive topics such as sexual assault. It's important to take care of yourself while listening. Some suggestions are listening while you're in a healthy headspace or knowing who you can reach out to if you become upset. Our 24-7 helpline for crisis calls based out of Central Florida is 407-500-HEAL. By contacting the national hotline at 1-800-656-4673, you can get support and learn about your local resources. There's always someone ready to help. Victim Service Center podcast. Here we sit down with professionals that serve survivors and victims of trauma or those who've experienced violence and have conversations about social issues. This week, we are talking about male survivors. My name is Emily Mitchell. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm the education coordinator at the Victim Service Center of Central Florida. With me today, I have Ralph Reinert. Ralph uses he, him pronouns and is a retired executive for a Fortune 500 company. Ralph is the father of two and a pop-up of five. He is also a survivor of childhood sexual abuse and an amazing volunteer at Victim Service Center where he participates in outreach, education, and co-facilitates our men's support group. So Ralph, thank you so, so much for being here today. Quite welcome, my pleasure. Looking forward to this. I'm really looking forward to it too. And I also have Miles Pula-Or. Miles goes by he, him pronouns and is one of our therapy interns at the VSC. Miles is originally from Thailand where he received a BA in English and worked as an English as a second language teacher before deciding to move to the US. To further his education in 2019, he received a master's of arts in applied linguistics from Columbia University in the city of New York where he developed his passion for the relationship between language and mind. Currently, he's pursuing his Master of Arts in Clinical Mental Health Counseling at Rollins College, where he is also pursuing a certification in marriage and family therapy. Understanding that everyone has different stories, Miles has a strong passion for working with and educating public on trauma and intersectionality between gender and race, especially in the LGBTQ plus community. So Miles, thank you so, so much for being here as well. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to have this really long overdue conversation. Um, As a brief introduction on this podcast, we often address myths surrounding sexual violence. And one such myth is that only those that identify as women experience sexual assault. So today we will be debunking that myth and many others in regards to male survivors. We'll be discussing the culture of silence around this topic and how toxic masculinity can contribute to this. And we'll also be discussing how we can better be supporters to male survivors in our lives. So with that, I wanted to start off first kind of with some statistics here. So according to research, one in 33 men experience sexual violence. But if we take into account childhood sexual abuse, 
that number is more around one in six. And actually one in 10 rape victims identify as men. So I think society as a whole could be shocked to read these numbers based on the myths that I was kind of talking about earlier. So why do you think there is so much silence on this particular topic? Well, I think because men, the creatures that we are, are, as you know, different than the opposite sex as far as mentally and physically also, but mentally where the macho, you're taught from being young to be, uh, you know, this, this guy that's strong and whatever, and has nothing to do with it, in my opinion. But most of the men don't feel that way. They feel that they have to support themselves and be the strong guy. And then on all the other myths that are out there about men and sexual abuse, it just shuts you down. And it did for me for a long time. So anyway, I think it's just part of our culture. It's better now than before, but not good enough. And I personally feel, no statistics involved, but I personally feel that the numbers are even higher than what we say they are. So, yeah, um, yeah, I can kind of going to want to go off of what Ralph just said. I think um, what contributes to the, the silence that we have among men, right, is, is the cultures for sure, because like we men were taught right um expressing emotion is for women for girls um men supposed to be like very stoic very strong you know the sign of showing emotion is a sign of weaknesses mostly in our cultures we were taught like that so um and to to support what ralph just said that uh i personally think it's more than that more than the statistics that like showed and this is because it's contributed to silence. Not a lot of men feel comfortable enough um, to, to step forward and, and share the stories and contribute to the, the stats. Uh, so yeah, I think like most of, you know, majority of, of the contributors in, in silence that we have among survivors, male survivors of sexual abuse in particular is, is the cultures that we were taught um, that men supposed to do so, like act certain ways do certain things, not feeling emotions, not talking about all emotions. And I think that's, that's pretty dangerous in our society, I think. Definitely. I, I appreciate both of your perspectives on it. And yeah, I'm really glad that you brought up the fact that whenever I share statistics, I like to mention too, that these are just reported numbers. And so this is just what we know. And we also know that sexual violence in general is the most or one of the most underreported crimes ever. And with this other added barrier of um, this silence around this particular um, you know, group of survivors, it makes a lot of sense that even these numbers as shocking as they are, I think for society as a whole, they may even be happening more frequently because we really just don't know. Um, and Ralph, you brought up some myths surrounding this kind of topic and how that can contribute to the silence that we're, we're, we're seeing here, this phenomenon. So let's do some myth busting. Let's address some of these. So I think one myth is that men are only perpetrators or in, and are not victims. Um, you know, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I'm a good example. 
of that. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, my if it's okay if I go into a little bit of my story to where, you know, mine is different than anybody else's because no stories are the same, number one. But I didn't realize that I was a victim until I was in my 50s. And I, for some reason, my brain, because of the trauma and, the, you know, how terrific the abuse was, it hit it away somewhere in the back or front or wherever the hell it hides it in your brain. Uh, but, uh, and then I feel that, and I've said this before, is that God did that for me until I was able to handle it. Because back in my day, I was born in 1948, so you figure that out. We didn't have any of this. I mean, we weren't to talk about it. It just didn't happen. And for those poor, you know, children that were abused by, you know, parents and uncles and priests and, you know, religious leaders, they had nowhere to go because these people, they trusted. Mine was different. I struggled with it, didn't know why, for many years. Uh, and I was a quiet person. People took that sometimes as me being angry. But I had no idea why I was quiet. I had no idea why I seemed angry. But when I did come out and realized, just woke up one day, by the way, and it was there, is one of the th first things you think about, for me, first thing, not you, but what I think about was, what are people going to think of me? Now, I'm a perpetrator. That really sticks. That was my first big deal. And then being around children and all that. But thank God for a therapist, they took all that away. And it, you know, gave me all the tools to work with this. And by the way, I was been in therapy for 15 years and I still have touch-ups where we talk every once in a while. Uh, my therapist is uh, retired now, but she's still you know, spends time with me. So by way of Zoom, of course. So it's just all these things, you know, um, men always want sex and women sexually assault them because you feel lucky. You know, come on. I mean, it, when you're a child, when you're eight or nine years old and you're being abused, your physical makeup is going to make you get aroused. It has nothing to do with the brain. I mean, you know, it's just, it happens. And people say about that, but, um, and then you think about, well, why did they pick me? I'm one of 16 children. And why did they pick me? Why did this person pick me? And by the way, it wasn't a family member, but why did they pick me? It's this, there's all these side eight other brothers, you know, six, seven other brothers. And it's, that's a biggie. And then when you do have the strength to come out and start talking to people about it, including male friends. Oh my God. <laughs> One of the toughest, toughest thing you can do. And I lost a couple of male friends because of it. And no fault of theirs. It's just, they didn't know how to handle it. They didn't have to know how to handle what I was telling them because this just don't happen, <laughs> you know? So yeah, I'm that's, so glad that you brought that up, Ralph, and thanks so much for sharing your story. Miles, I, I see that you might want to jump in on this. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I really like, um, I really appreciate Ralph mentioning that um, there's a myth that, like, if you, you know, if men or boys or 
any of the DH um, got arousal or got erections in, in the in the assault, that means that um, you know they really want it. And and I, I appreciate that you mentioned that because I think it's one of the myths that that we have, right? As as a as a cultures in, in general, that you know, men always want sex. You always like, you know, this this um creatures, this being that always want to like have a thought of reproducing and always want sex but i think like it's really important to to differentiate that our brain have a different parts i'm not an expert in brain science or neurology or anything like that but i feel like the different parts of the brain that functions differently um doesn't have to do anything with with assault right you can actually get a body sensation arousal or physical reaction in certain ways but that doesn't mean um we're we're we are consent to it or we want it, right? And I think like one of the things that we talk about um, uh, survivals of like sexual assault in women as well, when, when you say like, okay, why if you don't want it, why you, why you stay there, why you don't fight, why you don't do anything like that. I think that's the, the reaction that our body reacts to certain things, to dangers that come to us um, act differently for other people. For men in this case, if we're talking about sexual assault, you know, the there is might be a detachment or dissociation at the moment when you get assaulted where your mind and your body doesn't always connect it because you want to make yourself safe it's also um a reaction to the dangers to to keep ourselves safe and to survive basically because again we also have this instinctual as a human being as creatures as um as an animals right um so so i think that's that's different than then, oh, you have erection during assault, you, re- you must really want it. Um, and I, I'm glad that you brought that up. I think that's differentiate and kind of bust the myth, myth a little bit that it's not always the case. Um, I think you also mentioned, um, Emily, there's some of the other myths that w- women cannot be perpetrators. Um, this is also another thing that I find really interesting because uh, um, it's it's really interesting because I think society kind of, you know, we are living in a patriarch society, right? Everything is about men. So we kind of like think that women cannot be perpetrators. But again, women is also a sexual beings, right? So so it's it's not always the case that it's only men who want sex, who have desire, who wants the need to reproduction or anything like that. Um, it's a very it's very more nuanced than just you have erection, you must want sex and men can only be perpetrators. Yeah, I'm really glad that you um, highlighted that as well. Essentially what you brought up was this victim blaming culture, which adds to our rape culture. And I think that those who have, um, you know, certain genitalia that, you know, obviously penises can get erect, but that doesn't mean that they um, were asking to be assaulted or that they enjoyed the assault. And I, I'm really glad that, you know, again, no one asks to be sexually assaulted is never the survivor's fault that should always land on the perpetrator. And that's why I wanted to bring this up because I think victim blaming can look a little different depending on the survivor. Um, And so in addition to that as well, um, I think that that kind of goes into our culture that assumes that men always want sex. And I think that that um, can also blur the lines of coercion and verbal coercion. 
as far as women um, who are perpetrators and assuming that men want sex and then moving forward with, you know, um, you know, uh, not respecting people's boundaries and then assaulting individuals. So I think that, yeah, these are all kind of contributing together and into this rape culture where men are silenced, not believed as well when they come forward. And then um, we're not understanding consent either because we assume that men always want sex. So women perpetrators are probably just disregarding their consent in general um, because consent doesn't work that way. It should not be assumed ever, right? In some cases is that in mine, for instance, when you're abused, when you're a child and you finally come out, sex is something that's not high on your priority list. It was, wasn't for me. And through my life, it's been this way. And then realizing later in my therapy that um, my therapist let me know that there was a female that was abusing me and I didn't even realize that it was abuse. You know what I mean? It's like it, something was happening, but to me, it was okay, but it really wasn't okay. <laughs> so... I'm so glad that you brought that up, Ralph, um, because yeah, I, we just did an episode on verbal coercion in general and other coercion. And I think that um, this misunderstanding of, you know, consent as a culture, um, a lot of people could be listening and realize, oh, there were boundaries that were crossed and that wasn't okay. Um, in addition to that too, another myth that you brought up too was those that are abused or, or men that experience sexual assault or sexual abuse will go on to abuse others. And I just want to bust that myth again, um, because it's super important. I think that there's this idea that, that, that exists. Does anyone have any thoughts on that before we move forward? Well, it's for me, like I mentioned, it was real high on my priority list of people thinking that of me, if I would tell them that I was abused and that was that not anymore, by the way, I don't feel that way anymore. I'm, you know, I'm healed now and I'm been a survivor for a long period of time. So, but that was a biggie for me. Just what people would think um, about me. Yeah. Thank you so much for saying that, Ralph, um, for putting that in and for your experience. I think there's, there's something really important to be, be talked about here, right. In terms of like the abuse, becoming abusers. Um, of course, it's 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 not always like a hundred percent guarantee that um, the abuse is not going to be abusers or vice versa or anything like that. But I think like there's this is why it's so important for for people to to step out, listen, and and encourage um, survivors to to seek help and help them and believe them because I think one of the one of the myths, and I I don't know for sure, but I feel like. Um, the reason being for that beliefs and that myth is because we don't even talk about their experience of being abused, right? And a lot of times when we kind of hold it in, suppressing it without processing it, we do things that a lot of times people cannot really explain why, even though they, they resent that um, action, because that's what they what happened to them. For example, 
example, let's, let's say abuse, right? If a, a, someone got sexually assaulted, um, rape as a kid, and you haven't been processing that and suppressing that for the longest time, like as your story mentioned, Rob, you haven't really thought about it. You haven't really come to realization that this affects you and how you live your life until your fifties. Um, and I think that's one of the sources why if you don't talk about it, yes, the myth might become true, but if we step up, you know, process it, help each other, um, that's not necessarily true. I don't think it, 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 it comes back to if we're willing to talk about it so we can process it through and not reliving that experience as the abused or as the future abuser. Yeah, and it's also, in my case, uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't realize this until I was in my 50s. And when I was in my 20s, I was a Marine for four years. I was over in the bad place. And, you know, I mean, Marines don't talk about this. This is something that, you know, come on. <laughs> so, again, I was very successful in my career, which, you know, I started out as a carpenter and, you know, I only went to high school and became an executive of a company. So, but someone said to me once, a friend said, you know, Ralph, I think because of what you went through in your life, even though it was horrific, gave you the drive to become the person that you are today. Yes. Yes. And I was going to say that because I think like people um, deal with your own stuff differently, right? Some people might might do things differently. People um, use that as a drive to move forward and to improve themselves. Some people might don't, not know how to deal with it personally. And without asking for help, they might end up doing things that might be harmful to them. We're not talking about- But it was subliminal. I didn't subliminal. know. Subliminal. Right. Yeah. My brain right. knew it, but I didn't yeah. know it. So I think that's why like people react to it differently. Some people might turn to drinking, drugs or anything like that, but some people just drive toward that that self-actualization, right? Um, and, and I think that that that's why I feel like this myth is it's definitely a myth because it's no concrete measurement of, of that's always going to be the case. I think it's very individualistic. And I think like if 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 people are more open and less, you know, the 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 notion of coming out and telling stories and get help is less stigmatized. Um, you know, just just think about how how much we can drive the society forward um, to 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 in a more like healthy relationship that we have in society. Definitely, and I remember t- addressing this myth when I was an undergrad as well. Um, we kind of like drew this Venn diagram um, on the board and essentially those um, who do abuse others may have their own experience of abuse, but a vast majority of those who experience abuse do not go on to abuse others. And so that is such an important distinction. And I, and I think I, I'm really glad that you brought it up, Ralph, too, as far as that being a barrier. It's just the law of averages is what it is. You know? Right. you know what I mean? It's like nothing concrete, like you said, Miles. It's not, okay, there's 10% of people that it's mm-hmm. not that. It's just, of course, out of a population of da-da-da, you're going to have a little bit of this. Right, exactly. But you also have a lot of this. 
Yes, <laughs> you know? exactly. Um, and that being so important to break down because it can be a huge barrier to survivors coming forward, which there's a lot of barriers, barriers already. Um, and I wanted to check in and to see what are some other barriers to seeking services that you think male survivors may experience um, because of the culture that we live in? Well, it's hard. I've been in, you know, involved with multiple support groups um, and support groups. And I don't know, honestly, maybe Miles can help us. I don't know the answer to it. The only thing that I've suggested in both of the organizations that I've done this with is that I think the only way to get out there more is to just canvas the entire population of therapists, private therapists in Orlando area and send them a letter and saying, look, we have a men's support group. I, if you have any men you think would be good for this, going out on the street. I mean, we've tried in Beaufort, South Carolina to go to bars and put up, you know, little flyers and it didn't work. The only, the best place we got all our people from was from other therapists. So, so already um, people seeking out help, right? Right. Yeah. That's, I was going to say that as well. Like, I think like the barriers that we have in terms of, um, you know, men feeling comfortable reporting sexual assault is, I can't think of anything but cultures. The barriers is the whole culture thing. Um, like I, you know, I, 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 I work with some clients, male clients that um, saying that they don't even want to let their peers know that it's seeking therapy for this reason, because like, you know, it's the, the, the fear, the barriers that men keep coming up in the sessions is, is the, the fear of being judged, the fear of being laughed at, the fear of being ridiculed, that like, oh, you're a man, how can this happen? Right. I think that's this is um the fear, the the conception, um, the perception and 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 the social construct of what male should be like is so ingrained in our society that a lot of males just don't feel good enough and comfortable enough to come out and, and report. Um so I think that the biggest barriers in in, in having more men to step up and seek help and report this is, is the culture. Um, you know, we, we, we saw, you know, we've seen a lot of movies and TV shows that represented rape scene of a woman, right? We saw a lot of these things. Can you name one shows or TV shows or movies that you see like a male got raped or get assaulted sexually? We don't see that. We're not talking about this at all because the concept of male being a victim is 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 hard to find. No victims from like sexual assault, right? Um, uh, so, so I think that's like that's the biggest that, barriers. That's, and it's our culture, like you say, Miles, because right. it's the same way with race. Look at right. all the difference in the the you know the media, what they talk about. You know, this one getting killed versus this one getting killed. Without getting exactly, political. you know what I'm saying? It's the same thing. It's like we just have this barrier in our culture that we don't talk about the important stuff. 
We don't. We, we talk don't. about all the BS, you know? No, exactly. We don't talk about all the stuff and the concept. Like, you know, as much as we live in 2021, coming going in 2022 now, you know, the concept of gender fluidities or the concept of like gender as a spectrum, the concept of like, um, you know, gender identities or, or qualities or gender roles, you know, as a spectrum is already kind of still very rigid right if you're looking at men men are supposed to be the one who like provide for the families not doing the housework chores and stuff like that but when men doing more home stuff we get ridiculed for like oh you're not manly enough and all that things so i think it's so ingrained even though the world is moving toward this progressive views of like you know gender equality or anything like that so i think the barrier the biggest barriers for this topic is is definitely cultures society um what we were taught what we told right. to believe. right i'm so glad that you brought that up because while you were talking i was thinking of this myth too that um you know again kind of going back to victim blaming where a lot of times no matter the survivor a lot of people may say well why didn't you fight back you didn't fight back so you must have consented to it um, and I think that this kind of becomes even twofold for male survivors because there's this concept of, well, men are supposed to be strong. They should be able to fight back. Right. And so that can kind of contribute to this idea of like, oh, you must be weak or you consented or all this stuff. And I think it kind of starts bubbling into toxic masculinity, right? Um, so how would you define toxic masculinity and how does it kind of contribute to this silence culture that we're talking about? That's a great question. <laughs> That's a really great question. Um, uh, I can go on and on about toxic masculinity, but, but, I wouldn't go in, but I wouldn't go into that because I, we already have an episode about that. If you haven't listened to that yet, go back and listen, listen to that episode. Um, I think Joel and Kevin was talking about it pretty intensely, right? Um, what, what the questions again, Emily? I'm sorry. Absolutely. Kind of like a quick definition of toxic masculinity and how it can maybe contribute to this silence. Um, because, and kind of, it brought it up earlier too. I think that toxic masculinity can um, essentially contribute to this inability to be vulnerable around your male friends and other people mm -hmm. in general, like men not being able to be vulnerable ever. But I wonder if it does make it harder for survivors to connect with male friends, because you were mentioning, Ralph, um, you lost some of your friends, too. Um, so I didn't know if anyone wanted to kind of talk about that piece to it and how kind of the shame and, and you know, isolation that this can come for male survivors. And that was a culture thing, because the two friends that I by the way, I've had other friend, male friends that kind of are different now, but the two that I lost, it was, they just couldn't handle it. They just didn't have the ability to handle what I was telling them. And they couldn't comprehend how that could happen. And, you know, but I didn't judge them. I still love them as a friend, even though I don't have them anymore, but yet, you know, it's just goes back to culture. What we were taught, we were, you know, what we do every day, what, how we handle things. And, you know, it's just, I don't know how, 
I don't know how we fix that, except as we all go, and you mentioned this, I think, somewhere about education. You can educate and educate, educate. You know, just like you can talk about political things to people, you'll never change that person's political way of thinking because they believe what they believe. It's kind of the same thing. You can, t- that person who will judge you and think you're going to, you're a perpetrator and they won't, God forbid, let their kids be around you, you're not going to change that person's mind because that's in, that's embedded in there somewhere. Just like we were taught to be prejudiced the people that are prejudiced. We're taught to be prejudiced. They, when you're young, as you know, your brain's a sponge and you pick up stuff that your parents and your loved ones never would think that you heard or saw or whatever, but you're taught to be prejudiced. You're taught, even people will rebuff and say, no, 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 bullshit. no we're not prejudiced. You're taught. You just, you follow what you were brought up as, you know? And by the way, yeah. I'm not doing this as a therapist or a psychologist. It's just what I've experienced, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, th- thank you so much, Ralph, for, for mentioning that the cultures like that you were taught, right? I think like I, I'm not the best person to give like definition of toxic, mis- toxic masculinity. But I think like we get into something here when, when Ralph said like we were taught it's the cultures, right? So like I have to Google real quick mm. of the exact mm. definition of toxic masculinity. The concept of toxic masculinity is used in academy and media discussion of masculinity to refer to certain cultural norms that are associated with harm to society and men themselves. So it's the norm, the cultural norms like that we associate men, you know, the characteristic that we associate men that actually harm. So, so when you mentioned the cultures, <clears throat> you mentioned the prejudice, and and I also mentioned that you know gender fluidity, gender is a spectrum, right? So toxic masculinity is the rigid concept that people associate certain characteristic with men. For example, being strong, being aggressive. For example, you know certain phrases we tell things to dismiss any um bad behaviors as uh, for example like boys will be boys right something like that those messages that kind of kind of plant the seed in our brain to say that this is how men supposed to be right men supposed to be bullied you know they didn't mean anything they just making fun because boys will be boys Um, and all of these things kind of ingrained in our society and that can contribute to toxic masculinity, right? Um, we and it leads to misogyny, it leads to homophobia. Um, you know, if you if we're growing up, we might remember we might see um kids who is not into sports, into theater, into arts, and what's gonna happen? The other boy is gonna make fun of them using the calling names and all that thing. But if you like we go to the principals, we go into you know support anything like that. Back in the days, right now, I hopefully that's not the case anymore. Back in the days, Rob, I'm not sure if you have similar experience or anything like that. But back in the days, I mean, I know I'm much younger than you, but which I presume that it's going to be even more um, intense back then. Like, you know, a principal or a male teachers or anything like that was like, oh, boy, we'll be boys, right? Like they playing, they doing that thing. They didn't mean it. They're kids. <laughs> those kind of messages, those kind of concepts contribute to mes- um, toxic masculinity. Um, we taught that men are supposed to feel. We taught that men are supposed to show emotion, cannot be sad, cannot cry. 
those can contribute to this toxic masculinity because eventually masculinity and femininity is a spectrum, right? So, right. so it's not like you have a hundred percent of masculinity. And I, okay, let's so to put it in a different way. I feel, I would say like toxic masculinity is a hundred percent masculinity on the spectrum scale without any, you know, without acknowledging the tendering part, the caring part within men at all. Okay. Right. And I think that the biggest thing too is essentially what makes it toxic is that people are unable to be the authentic selves. Um, they're not able to really, um, they're not exactly share those emotions. And because of that, um, these, uh, you know, um, relationships that men have with other people, um, may suffer if they're looking for support because we as a society almost think that men don't need support emotionally they need to be strong um you know they're not victims and all that stuff i was told <laughs> when i was there my therapist is that i never used to feel pain i didn't have empathy i didn't feel anything because of my abuse i didn't know it but I would, as a carpenter, I would hit myself in the shins and I'd be bleeding, not even know it. I now, after being healed, as your brain heals, Miles, as you know, it does heal. It does get better. It gets little bits at a time. Is that now I'm overly emotional. But I probably always was. <laughs> didn't realize it. My brain didn't let me to. But seriously, I find myself tearing up over sad commercials and right. things like that and right. i'm not ashamed of it i'm right, not but, ashamed of it but but here's the thing like if you look at yourself back in the days if you become overly emotional what's going to happen oh you're a whim you're right a, you're a wuss. you know what i mean? like yeah. do a worse yeah. so those are the toxic masculinity right because even we're men we have the capacity to feel emotions right we are humans we have the emotions we have sadness and all that thing we're not robots so, but like, for some reason, our society told us men that, mm -mm -mm, don't cry, don't cry, boys don't cry. Like, okay, like this is, this is the concept of, of, of toxic masculinity in a nutshell, I feel like. So in thank a funny you way, I said that. that to Emily about, you know, like getting caught walking down the, you know, shampoo aisle and you buy yourself some Olay body wash. Well, what the hell? My skin's the same as anybody else in the world. And you use Olay body wash. My skin feels really good for 74 years old, you know? So, and again, I don't care if I get caught and get a dirty look from some dude. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we all have the same skin. I'm so glad you brought that up. And we can definitely keep going down a rabbit hole of toxic masculinity, like you were mentioning, Miles. And if anyone's interested in that particular topic, please check out the um, the podcast on it because we talk a little bit more about those things. Um, but you mentioned, Ralph, um, your healing journey. And I wanted, we talked already about like your story and things like that. I wanted to check first, you know, what did you find healing in your journey? And then also, um, what do you want people to take away from your story? Well, to realize, number one, that it can happen to anybody. I was brought up in a very religious, caring, loving family. It happened to me. And it's 
has it has no boundaries. It's just can happen to anybody. And I always come back to therapy, 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 therapy. I was very fortunate. I spent tens of thousands, probably hundred thousand, I don't know, in therapy over the years. Thank God I could afford it. But without her, I always mention her name, Linda Ritter saved my life. And if you can get someone in front of a therapist one or two times, I made her swear the first time I met her. And by the way, I picked her out on Facebook. I mean, you know, one of her uh, things on the internet. Uh, I made her swear that she would never repeat my story ever to anybody. <laughs> I've spoken in front of hundreds of people. So I think the most healing part of it is the tools that you can, it's tough in the beginning. Oh my God, it's so tough in the beginning, but getting comfortable with a person, not every therapist is good for everyone. I say to people all the time is that if you don't click, go some, go to the next person because it won't work if that doesn't happen. And there's a thing that Hopeful Horizons, which I was involved with in Buford, they sent this thing out. A truly great therapist is hard to find, difficult to part with, and impossible to forget. It's just, it's when it clicks and it's the right person, they can heal you. But you fight it in the beginning. You fight it, you fight it, you fight it until it finally gets there. And then it's like, ah, it happened. And you also asked the question, I don't want to go too ahead of your, your notes here, but, you know, um, I don't feel, and by the way, my therapist was the one that gave me permission to start doing this back in the day when I was in Buford. I don't do it to heal myself anymore because I'm healed. I do it to help other people. And that's helps me in a, in a way. But as far as dealing with this and working with it, people say, well, don't it bring back memories on? Yeah, but I had the tools and how to deal with that. I, I, it doesn't get to me anymore. Of course, you get emotional when you hear some people's really horrific stories, but I don't do it for me anymore. I don't do it to heal myself anymore because thank God I'm healed. I'm a survivor. Thank you so much, Ralph. That was super powerful, that, that quote that you shared from uh, Buford. And I know that we'll talk a little bit more about like male support groups, but I wanted to check with you, Miles. Um, you know, what are some of the things that you work with with your male clients? Ralph was talking about the power of therapy and things like that. Um, and in addition to that, we talked about how like toxic masculinity can be kind of a barrier maybe in therapy when it comes to vulnerability. So any thoughts on that as well? Well, definitely, Emily. Um, so, well, first of all, I'm going to well, like really want, I really appreciate your story, Ralph. And I think that quote was beautiful, exceptionally beautiful. I think that captures the, the relationship uh, between a client and therapy, like therapists really well. And I, I have to say that it's, I agree with you that, um, there's not like a therapist cannot heal everyone right you have to find the right fit it's almost like a finding a partner and you know how hard finding a partner is it's it's basically the same thing because the relationship between a therapist to to 
with a client is very very unique and probably um, the most intimate experience you'll ever it's have. a very yeah it's a very intimate experience and i think like it will takes time right it will take time for for a lot of people to find the right fit and the fit makes everything different like makes a lot of difference to it so um to answer your questions emily what are some of the things i work and make sure when i'm working with male clients right i think like and ties with toxic masculinity is providing a safe space um, for them, for sure, because they are, you know, trying to build the trust and the comfortable, the comfort in the sessions for them, and list really listen and providing the space and believe them. Uh, I know a lot of times sexual assault victims and survivors in this case uh, having a hard time fighting for someone to believe them. A lot of times they're willing to hold the information because they feel like nobody's gonna believe me. And this all apply across the board, right? Even women experience the same thing. It's even more intense and even more um, difficult for men to feel that, that no one's going to believe me. So I think like one of the things that I, I commit in doing in, in every session is making the client, clients feel comfortable in the session. You know, let them know that this is a safe space for them to, you know, be able to talk of anything like a lot of clients like like you said i have clients that come in and tell me they're like okay you're not going to tell anyone right like confidentiality is the main thing in any counseling so that's a really huge part of it um and and i think that's the majority of, of what i've been working with clients to like you know provide a safe space that comfort um and make them feel comfortable enough to, to share and it's not going to be it's not going to happen in the first session second session or third session sometimes it takes months and years uh to, to build that relationship as drops said, it's the most intimate experience anyone can have right it's it's different it's not intimate like you and your partner and you and your parents because all this stuff you probably don't talk to your partner or sometimes you don't talk to your right. parents at all right but so it's a different kind of intimacy there has but, to be but, an absolute trust yeah, exactly, exactly, and I think that's that's one of the things that majority of of us as a therapist um, strive to create for our clients in the session. Absolutely, and I really appreciate you both kind of sharing that. Um, if it's not clicking, that relationship is super integral, um, and so you have a right at you know to kind of shop around, um, you know, and and see what works for you. So I always like to empower individuals and let them know that it can take time and, you know, be patient and know that, you know, healing doesn't happen overnight. And there could be days where you do um, feel a little more um, maybe, you know, affected by someone else's story than, you know, the day before. And it's not like you're going backwards or anything like that. Um, so I always want to break down those myths too. And not right. that there's a bad, they're bad therapists. I'm, I'm sure there's right. bad of everything, but there's, I'm not making it come across as there's bad therapists, but I'll give you a little example. And some of the clients we had in Buford on my support group was that this one guy, I remember he had a therapist just starting out where they were pushed the religion on him. This guy was not religious and, you know, he had to move on, but he was tied in, tied in. Finally, he made the move. And he like excelled. <laughs> he was in front of the wrong person. It wasn't about religion to him. He didn't want to hear, you know, the, the Bible stories and all that. He wanted other stuff. Right. And it took a little while for him to realize that. And when he did, it changed him. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Well, yes. Um, but I can definitely say like enforcing enforcing certain um, ideology onto a client, that's definitely a bad ther therapy. But right. There, right. There's a bad therapy out there for sure, right? Um, and and, and I, again, like I, 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 I didn't come across when you said that like it takes time to shop around. I didn't come, like I didn't, it didn't come across that like there's a bad therapist because sometimes even the amazing therapist someone can be might be not, not maybe not your great fit right it doesn't uh, feel so intimidated by them if they're exactly that good, you know what i'm saying they might just yeah. be so good that they're you know yeah, yeah like it's 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 not that you just have to find the right fit and and it's not you and it's not the therapist sometimes or sometimes therapist but uh so but but it takes time to find the right fit and you have that choice and that right to find that right yeah Absolutely. And, you know, Ralph, I know that you help run our male support group. Um, you know, I wanted to check in and see, you know, what, what is it like running it? Has it been healing for you? And why are male support groups so, so important or can be important? Well, it's because we're probably the number high on the list of being on uh, very, very few men are being helped. So, and it's so much is out there more than we even know. And it's just somehow we got to get that out there where like, you know, Miles said, you see all the time where this woman got raped or this happened or that happened. And, but you never see it about a guy. And I've had, I have in Buford, I was also a first responder for uh, you know, victims. And I had men in the military because Buford's a very large military area. I've had men that were men that were raped by men. You know what I'm saying? So it's out there and out there and out there, but it's just not. And I don't know the answer of how to get it, except the more we talk about it, the more we do this, the more we put it in front of people, you know, it's, it's, it has to change, but what can we do better? Um, you know, we say education all the time. That's the come to the word, but it's not that. It's just that we have to do a better job of prevention. Number one, speak in schools. Um, there's a friend of mine who runs a program in Beaufort called Most uh, Men of Strength, and he goes into high schools and. He goes, you know, talks to these kids and he, ha he has a following and he's just he's just out there constantly because he is in the mindset. If we get these kids early to learn how to treat women, to learn what abuse is, if they've been, you know what I'm saying, to talk more about it, that type of stuff. But again, it's resources, it's money. But every little bit helps. Every little bit helps. And I think. You know, if we can get to more therapists and if they can give us more people, the word gets out there. I'd love to be busy. I'd love to have three men support groups in a week. <laughs> you know, I'd that'd be great thing. <laughs> but uh, it's just hard. Yeah. And I just want to take the time to thank you for all of the amazing things that you do on behalf of survivors, especially at the VSC and, and running that support group. It's it's so amazing. And I know that you come with me on educational stuff too. Um, so just want to thank you for all that you do um, for survivors and all of the amazing activism that you do. My pleasure. It's giving back and I love it.
I also wanted to check with you, Miles, if you had any thoughts about male support groups, how they can be healing for survivors and how it can help, um, you know, uplift positive masculinity and things like that and how peer support can just be powerful in general. Oh, absolutely. Like um, we talked about, like, for example, Rob mentioned that like, he lost a couple of male, male friends, right? So I think that's one of the one of the, the great benefits of a support group is that like you find people that share a similar experience, you know, and it's almost like you speak the same language. You get each other, you understand each other. And that's, that's only that factors alone can be incredibly healing for a lot of survivors right you 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 have a sense like oh you're not alone in this journey you 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 have peers you have almost like a camaraderie almost like you know feeling the solidarity in terms of like oh i'm not alone you know this happened to other people too so it's kind of be very powerful oh so you learn things from each other's right like this is a this is an, another benefits of like groups support groups or therapy where you learn things from each other you might um hear different perspectives of different coping skills of different ways or different outlets that you can try and connect with one another so i think that's that's one of the um the beauty of, of support groups and and that can be very healing also in terms of like positive masculinity it's almost like when you interact with more people, you learn more, right? You know more, you be open-minded more, you know more, you learn more about things that you might not think about before. You might see things from a different perspective. So, so these are all the things that um, are, are, are all the things that are beneficial for the healing journey for men survivors. So I think like support group, for example, close group therapy is, is amazing tools that, that would, help survivors to learn more about themselves um and and to grow and to heal yeah so for any men that will listen to this podcast i just want to say come out and just see us you don't have to tell us your story you don't have to mile says you can learn from i'll tell you my story to let you know that you're not the only one it's happened to many of us and you can just sit there, suck it all in, learn from the people that you're hearing from, learn, uh, you know, from the therapist that's in the room and just, just suck it in. But just to make clear, you don't have to come there and, you know, give it all. You can just come and just listen. We don't, you know, push you into saying, okay, it's your turn. It's not yeah. one of those things, <laughs> you know. That's that's definitely true, Rob. And thank you for like saying that because I think like healing has a different stage, right? We are probably at the same different levels of healing. Some people just want to get better. Some people just want to feel like I'm not alone. Some people just want to process through. And some people like you, for example, Rob, just want to you know use your experience and turn to something else. So you know we are on a different stage, but um the the courage or or the effort or just just stepping out and being a part of something can already be healing right it's i, I think like you you was absolutely right ralph like you can actually show up if you're not feeling ready fine you don't have to say anything just sit but you still can learn from 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 one another in the support group it empowers you just by listening yep. exactly yeah yeah and again um i love that there's this way that you can 
um, try something out and not feel intimidated, right? Um, knowing that anything that you're not comfortable with in that moment, if you're not ready or whatever, um, you don't have to do, which is always an empowering feeling as well. Um, I wanted to know too, for everyone who's listening, who, you know, may have a male survivor in their life or just in general, how can we be better supporters to male survivors? Let them know that you'll just listen to them. And what we have is, again, a culture and the way we are and the way we're brought up is we always want to help. And Emily, you're sitting there telling me some story and I'll say, yeah, but Emily, you should, you should, you should do this and maybe try this and all that. Sit there and just listen to this person. And even if it's just nodding your head and say, yes, I agree or whatever, that's the most important thing that you can do for a victim ever, ever, ever is just shut up and listen and let them know that you, you can be trusted and you believe them. No matter what they tell you, you believe them. And it's so important. It's hard, especially for a person that loves to talk like me. Uh, you know, you want to just grab, get in there and just, but you can't. You just have to sit there and just listen. That's the, in my opinion, it's healing for them, empowers them because somebody's not telling them what to do and how to handle it and whatever. That's for a therapist to do. That comes later. You don't need that shit right up front. You're you're hitting the nail on the head, Rob. I think that's absolutely true. Like your first step is just listen and believe, believe survivors, right? Just believe it. Um, we're in a society we always taught to think of solutions, to look forward to the solutions, to solve problems. But a lot of times survivors um didn't want that, doesn't want that right away. They want someone to listen, they want someone to really hear what they say. Um, so I think like believing them is 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 really important. Um, as a therapist, we were taught all and all over and over again that you know you meet a client where they are. Um, the more you know them, you understand like what they really want um, from 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 the interaction that you have. So, but it's all started with like listening, believing. You know, once they get comfortable enough, uh, you probably can help them explore the options right to therapy to any part of that but the first very first step is as you said shut up and listen and believe them so i think that's that's perfectly sum up of how can we help male survivors out there i love it yeah i think that that's super powerful and we like to say here at the vsc that survivors are experts in their story and experts in their healing too mm -hmm. So yeah, giving them that, that time to share their story is just super integral, I feel like, or can be, um, you know, we talked a lot about like shifting culture and you did bring it up to Ralph, this idea that when I do ask this question, like, Hey, you know, how can we shift this culture? How can we change this? You know, a lot of people bring up education, um, as like a catch all be all. Um, but before we kind of dive into what that education can look like, I was kind of curious, what, if any sexual abuse prevention education, did you receive in school and how did you feel about it? I know that we have some like generational differences here. But I wanted to check in. Did you get any sexual abuse prevention education? Zero, I'm seeing. Zero, zilch, zip. I went to a private church school. 
<laughs> so figure that one out. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And how about you, Miles? Did you get any kind of education at all when it comes to either consent or like any prevention education or even like sex education, anything like that? So, so growing up in Thailand, right? I don't even know the word consent before growing up like I have to say like it's not a thing we don't really talk about sex we don't rarely have like sex education back home but I do come across I mean I know the concepts right I don't think like I for me it's always been like common sense like you know this is like intermarriage but like for some reason I, it's it's you know it's it's different for other people so I think like the first educations that I have for me personally is when I moved here and we have to do like the title nine when we went to college and I think that's it and you just sit in front of computers and trying to get by and get through it I don't want I want to go do something else so we like I mean I of course pay attention but I think a lot of times just like doesn't it's not engaging at all this doesn't have this conversation at all right you just like sit in front of the screen and look through slides and click the the choice and everything and you can if you do it wrong you can do it again that's all that's all that we talked about um that's all that i have so i think that's that's very important because the more you engage in learning the more you learn right. and and the the title nine that we have at college or anything like that doesn't help me feeling engaging at all right um, so yeah definitely i had a similar also you hit okay. walls you hit a wall yeah. because we tried in other places where we wanted to go to like Catholic churches and talk to the students and think they really need it in some places. And no, we don't talk about that. It's taboo. We don't No, 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 no. And then the parents that complain because some teacher that gave sex education, oh my God, they mentioned penis and vagina. And it's like, you don't want your little child to call something a yaya when it's not that it's a vagina because if she says oh by the way you know we were playing with yayas today i mean you know what i'm saying it's like we have again going back to culture miles it's like we have this thing and it's still out there even in 2021 it's still out there Definitely. I, you bring up a really amazing point and important point, Ralph, which is in childhood sexual abuse education, we need to empower people, parents, guardians, individuals who teach children the proper names for their all their body parts, because abusers will use that as a tool to um, you know, keep secrets and, and things like that because the child will not be able to communicate what is happening to them and what makes them uncomfortable. And I bring that up because, you know, of course, childhood sexual abuse is, you know, um, affecting people of all genders. Um, you know something else, Emily, you might help me with that. I've been trying to think of this. What is that thing that you fill out? There's check marks on, and it's a something score. The ACEs uh, score, the ACEs adverse score. childhood yeah, experience A lot of people score. push that. And I have a little bit of a, you know, push back on that a little bit. I have one. And I should have 25 aces, but I have one. So it's not as important. I don't think, again, personal opinion, is that some people make it up to be that that's so important that you fill out the ace and you have a, it doesn't apply to everyone. 
You know what I mean? Because I've tried. I've thought about it and filled it out and I'd say, I'm a one. Yeah, it kind of goes back to that myth of, you know, perpetrators only, you know, there's only one type of victim or, you know, um, again, going back to your story where you were the president of this Fortune 500 company and um, people may be surprised to hear this, this story, but it shows that, you know, survivors come from all walks of life. And they do not discriminate based on, you know, social economic status or things like that. There may be more um, individuals who are more at risk for things like violence, but that doesn't mean it doesn't happen in other groups. So I think that that's important to break down, too. What do you think of ACEs, Miles? What I said, um, my comment. I think it's really important, ACEs. And 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 you said you have one, right? Mm. And you feel like, when, when, what do you mean by like people pushing it? Like, what do you mean? Well, by I've that? been to a lot of different, you know, seminars and things mm-hmm. like that. And people, you know, say, well, you know, this person had five aces and this person should have this. Or that. To me, it's not as important sometimes as to me as it's mm-hmm. pushed. You know what I'm saying? Because it, you want to put more down there, but it really, it's, it's not, it's not true. Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? So- uh, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I think like it's it's important. I think like aces. I I love aces. I'm not sh- I'm not I'm not a proponent of pushing anything. And again, I I feel like it's important to like meet the client when they're where they are because sometimes even though they don't realize that like, they might feel like they don't have a lot of aces, um, it doesn't mean they don't have trauma, right? Like I think like we we kind of have to like look at things like more holistically rather than just like stick with a certain assessment. I think there's a lot of people who out there who kind of like stick more with than assessment because it, yeah. yeah, because it's, it's measurable, right? It's easy. It's look in the paper and like you see like numbers and all that thing. It's quantifiable. It's countable. But I think working with humans, working with clients doesn't work that way, right? It's not always quantifiable. Um, my experience, even though I accept like, okay, I feel the pain. I feel like I have five aces, for example. Um, the level of traumatic experiences might not equivalent to one incident of traumatic experience in the past or anything like that. So it's very holistic. ACEs scores can give you the um, almost like a, a draft or like a, a map certain ways, but I don't want to rely on it so much because it's because not the, the, end all. yeah. There's yeah, the gist of this is the story. The the gist of this is the gist of is the importance of their experience, the story, what they're really going through, what they've have experienced. I think that's more important than than any assessment scores out there. Thanks, appreciate that. Yeah, I think that that is a um, really important point too, and and. Um, I've done a podcast before with um, other therapists, of course, and they bring up how like trauma looks different for other people too. Mm-hmm. like what one experience um, may not feel as traumatic for one person, but may feel very traumatic for someone else. So everyone's different. Everyone's different. They that. process it different, et cetera. Yeah, totally. Um, and I really appreciate this conversation that we've had um, today and, and for you to both um, bringing your perspectives of it and, and you, Ralph, sharing your story. Before I sign off, though, is there anything else that you would like to bring up that we've not discussed? Or is there anything you'd like to say to male survivors out there that we haven't already? I have go back to my 
therapist, therapist, therapist. It's just make that step, find the right one, and, and they can heal you. They can make it all better for you. They can give you the tools on what it's not that they have this, you know, screwdriver or hammer they give you, but man, they have some great tools on how you deal with it, how to process what you're going through. And it just doesn't make sense in the beginning. Doesn't they tell you stuff? And I've said to my, and I won't say the exact words I've said to my therapist, but I've said, what that do you know? You've never went through what I've went through. How can you tell? That was in the beginning. You know, how can you tell me how I should feel when you never experienced what I experienced? So, it, but that's okay. You know, it was a process. I had to go through that and then realize that just shut up and listen. <laughs> you know, they have the right stuff for you. So it's hard at first, but a therapist can save your life. Believe me. Thank you, Ra, for saying that. I think that brought up something that I, I, I feel like really important to realize that, like you know, and I, I got that a lot from clients as well. Like, how do you know? You don't. You're not me. You're not. You didn't have my experience. Um, and and that's a really interesting question. And I understand where it comes. It comes. It comes from. And a lot of survivors out there might feel similarly, right? Um, I think that. Human connections means everything, right? Sometimes I I can tell like not all therapists can know that. I don't know exactly how you feel. But I know that a lot of the, like most of the therapists out there really want to help you heal, right? We, we we can say that I'm not gonna play pretend that I know exactly how you feel, exactly how male survivors feel. And and I think it's important to address that address that. But I know for a fact, speaking for myself, I really want to help other heal because even though I don't have the exact same experience, I can feel pain. I can feel, you know, sadness. We are humans. We have the universal emotions that we can feel. And, and that sometimes it's enough to connect with male survivors. Um, and um, also things that I want to mention, I, I'm not sure, Emily, if you already did an episode in Bravo Coercion, or anything like that already or not like that. Um, I think like uh, male survivors, I'm like, if anyone listening, right? Uh, we're not talking about that. You only have to be sexually assaulted by strangers, right? We're talking about verbal coercion. We're talking about spousal um, rape, coercion. All of these things are the nuances that the society hasn't um, learned enough about these things. There's so many nuances. There's... um. Uh, aspect of gender coming to issue for LGBTQ community, verbal coercion, the, the expectation of a norm of society from certain gender, certain things. So there's so many nuances. And I, I would say that I encourage that if anyone listening and feel somehow questions about your own experience, if you, you know, experience those things, um, reach out, seek help, um, you know, and, and um, I believe that the right therapist will help you figure it out, even though you probably couldn't quite articulate your experience yet. Um, but if you have a gut feeling of like, I might experience something, you know, reach out, seek help and, and, and start, the healing can start over that because it's so much more than just, 
you know, walking home at night, get hit in the head and got raped. It's not always that, right? It's always in a relationship, coercion, manipulation, spousal, um, rape, assault. There's so many nuances in this experience. And I, I encourage that people. Um, Something we didn't touch on, Miles, which you did right. a little bit there, was that, again, one of the things I didn't mention of what comes to mind is, and I've been told this by a couple of people that, oh, so you're gay. Mm -hmm. very close people to you. It was like you told them the whole thing. You shared, you shared, you shared. Well, you know, if you were, if you're gay, just say it, you know? So that's another thing that a straight person thinks of as a male, you know, macho guy. Oh my God, people will think I'm gay. So anyway, we didn't touch on that, but that's another one. That right, right. Big thing Actually, that... People. That brought up the myth that I was reading, reading about as well. Like I said, like only gay men sexually assault other guys or only gay guys are sexually assaulted, which is not true. Not true, right? not true at all. Not true at all. Um, you know, not true. Um, even though like the, even though um, we have probably bad reputation, you know, gay men have a bad reputation like associated with sex so promiscuous it's not always the case it's not right. always the case and and that's another myth right and there's a there's a majority of heterosexual men who who somehow feel powerful you know when they assault other men but that doesn't define that they're gay right sometimes like because as i said gender is so fluid and and sometimes if uh, heterosexual men have sex with men um occasionally but they might not identify themselves as gay right so so there's so new there's so there's so many nuances and um intersectionality as i as i always said and all, like the fluidity the spectrum that 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 um have to be considered in this sense as well definitely i think that yeah that was an important myth to bring up for sure and and again, it kind of just goes to show that it really um, is about power and control, um, like we've mentioned a lot. And also, I appreciate um, that we kind of are talking as well to, you know, let survivors know that if you feel like a line has been crossed, um, it has. And it's OK to talk about it and, and reach out for support. Um, even if you have that gut feeling, like you were mentioning, Miles, you deserve support. Um, so I think that that's a wonderful place to kind of sign off here. So thank you for listening to the Victim Service Center podcast. The VSC is a nonprofit organization that provides free confidential counseling services for survivors of any kind of trauma in Central Florida. To learn more about our services, please visit victimservicecenter.org. And to everyone listening, healing is not linear. You are not alone. And thank you so, so much, Miles and Ralph, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Come see us.